0: We go. Today is Tuesday, December twelfth. 2017, and this is episode 207 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. And just so everybody knows, this
1: would have been a Sunday show, except Jerry doesn't know how to work Skype.
0: Well, that and we had a picture hanging emergency. It was, it was very, it was all very complicated.
1: <laughs> and then yesterday there was just, bedlam and mayhem and
0: stuff going on. Yep.
1: Dogs and cats living together. Nice. And and I, I was riveted by the Bitcoin minute by minute pricing. I couldn't, I couldn't look away.
0: <laughs> so, so, uh, you, you know, are you a billionaire yet? Can, can, can I, you write your own uh, Batman story?
1: I wish I, you know, there was a time when I was aware of Bitcoin very, very, very early on and I just ignored it. I was like, eh.
0: Same here. That's yep. neat.
1: It's it, it reminded me of like when PGB came out and played with it a few times. I went, yeah, that's neat. Right. And, 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 I mean, I like the concept of Bitcoin. I like the concept of a non-government owned currency. I like the decentralization of the blockchain. I all the you know, I was like, this is kind of cool. I can see how this is sort of like a libertarian-esque, you know, crypto anarchist kind of vibe. Oh, look, squirrel. I, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I mean, I remember when it was like uh, 27 cents a Bitcoin, and I remember when somebody bought a pizza with a Bitcoin, it was the first thing I ever bought. I was like, and then, then I got distracted. I looked back and it was $1,000. Then I got distracted. I looked back and it was $10,000. Yep. And then it peaked at like 17 or 19. And I was like, what just happened?
0: Yeah, but you know uh, what? People are mortgaging their houses now to buy Bitcoin, and that tells me <laughs> that we're we're near the top. For, for a while, I mean, but, but anyway, I, it's not a finance I, show.
1: You no, know, it's not a finance show. But I will tell you, I I have no idea how to value Bitcoin at all. Zero. Like, I can look at stocks and bonds and, and, and all sorts of derivatives and all sorts of other financial instruments, and I have at least a, a working knowledge of how to value them. And I have zero clue how to figure out what what a fair market value should be for Bitcoin and so that's why I I, 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 I can't play in it because I just I don't understand it well enough and you know I, I kudos to those who foresaw this and you know made made money but I would just say be careful if, yeah. if you're thinking about getting it now and I'm not your financial advisor. This advice does not constitute a any sort of financial or professional arrangement.
0: However, you may want to take some profits, if. you <laughs> if right. you're But uh, anyway. Um,
1: yeah, I know we're way off topic.
0: So, so <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. Um, and by the way, a couple, just a couple of quick announcements. So, first up is. Uh, hack in the box. I know the past couple years we've helped uh, hack in the box get their message out. Hack in the Box uh, Europe happens in April, so April 9th through 13th in Amsterdam. And that the the, uh, call for papers is open until the end of the year. Uh, You can get a 10% discount by using the discount code Defensive Security. And uh, I actually am trying to to figure out how i can uh uh, work some some work trips so that i'll end up uh in in that area at that time so no 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 promises yet but um you know look at you being fancy i I know i know i'm trying i uh
1: i would love to go i i don't know um if it's in the budget but i got to figure out a way for it to be in the budget one of these days
0: yeah yeah i amsterdam in in a April and May is uh, is is very very nice. So I mean, from a just from a, a you know scenery perspective, it's uh, really cool. They have the tulip festival and whatnot. So um, are all these euphemisms places. for something else? They 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 are not. I mean, they could be, but in in this context, they actually are, are not. So okay, carry on. Anyhow, uh, and then uh, and then the the other announcement is that we will be at the. Uh, Tactical Edge Conference in Bogota, Colombia. Indeed, in in March of next year. In- Did you finish your talk yet? Uh, no, no, that's <coughs> it's coming up though. I mean, I I'll have it. I've I've got it blocked off. I got some time blocked off during the holidays. So <laughs> that's
1: okay. I, I don't I don't mind done yet either.
0: Yep, <sighs> I've got it, I've got a good outline. If it weren't for the last minute, right? You, nothing would ever get done. So.
1: I know what I want to say. I just don't know how to say it.
0: So, so anyway, you uh, you can, I- I- if you are so inclined, come down to Bogota, see uh, see us, and ha- hang out. I think uh, Martin Fisher and uh, Andy Ellis and a uh, uh, you know a bunch of other people who are way cooler than than I am will, will be there. So, anyhow, uh, getting into some hey oh, hey hey hey, there's a discount code. Oh oh yeah, there is for for heck in the box I, I gave the discount code
1: did you oh yep. I'm sorry that
0: was yep. defensive that. security 10 percent off
1: my bad we'll just edit this part out so i don't look as dumb as i feel right now
0: it's all right all right carry on all right so uh so jumping into some stories first up we have a story from the cso title is three common Cybersecurity maturity failings this is a little departure from our normal coverage of uh, breaches and news and stuff like that but I thought this one was was interesting because it hits a couple of hot buttons for me. Um so so first one is that the focus on prevention is uh, one of the maturity failings and and I and I thought it really interesting and it, it, this is partly because I was in France a couple of weeks back. They they mentioned the uh, French Maginot line, and I and I got to wondering: is if, if uh, there is a Godwin's law emerging for InfoSec, where you know the Maginot line is, is has to be brought up in in InfoSec conversations?
1: Yeah, I think I think I should claim that.
0: Oh, okay, the the the, the Callot, law. <laughs> I
1: don't know. I'm just being silly.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Well. We have had this discussion for years now. The firewall is dead and we've lost the perimeter and all that kind of jazz. But I think that the point one is is somewhat interesting in that if you're relying purely on prevention, purely on defense, and not doing anything beyond that, uh, you're not nearly as mature as you think you are in your organization is what I take out of that. Yep, And I would agree. I would agree. And, you know, I, I, I think – just to further that thought i've often been of the opinion that the initial breach point is probably going to come through fishing or spear phishing or some sort of social engineering and probably going to work from the initial uh, compromise against an individual and there's probably not a lot you can do to stop that what you can do is make it very difficult for them to go laterally after that and and detect when they try
0: yeah, th- there was a there was a really interesting paper someone had written, gosh, just a year or two ago, and it was a it was about uh, how defenders think in in terms of lists, and attackers think in terms of graphs, and and the the point was that and, and it, to some extent it kind of goes back to the you know the 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 tired adage of you know, attackers only have to be right once and defenders have to be right every time. And and, and there's a little bit of, of truth to that because the whole point is in, in an average organization, there's a gigantic number of different ways in. I mean, you have external websites and you have, you know, you've got misconfigured things. You've got, you know, all of your employees susceptible to phishing. And by the way, they're susceptible at different, you know, different levels during different times of the day, different days of the week, and you know, and you, you and
1: mean my once quarterly fishing test isn't.
0: <laughs> I, I know it's crazy, right? It's crazy. Oh man, heresy! So, so it's uh, you know, it's a it, it's an interesting point that you know, it, when when you think about it as an aggregate, it's really really difficult to. To imagine a situation where you've got, uh, you know, a set of defenses that that really close all those those entry points, so you're you're, you're forced into a a position of trying to quickly identify and eradicate, and and that kind of dovetails into their second one, which is um, you know antithetical to the point of um, not focusing strictly on uh prevention which you know by by definition says that you well you got to focus on detection but they they point out that you know the second f- maturity failure is relying too much on technology and and I think what they're really talking about is relying on on technology to identify and alert you to attacks and they they point out you know, the examples of Home Depot and Target, where, you know, we know in the aftermath that that the you know in, in both those cases there were events that that highlighted what was going on, but they were just buried in the noise, right. And we're
1: not that good yet. We we can't do automatic, perfect breach detection
0: right. with with technology. Right. Although
1: I'm working on a blinky box, I could sell you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I I think one uh, to be to be frank, one of the issues I, I think we have as an industry is, you know, when when we when we read about Target and Home Depot and, and others, you know, we, we take a little little bit of solace in saying, Well, you know, the the data was there, right? It's just that Target didn't see it. They didn't you know, their their stock was too busy or they, they, they were ignoring it or whatnot. And so, you know, we won't fall into that trap. And and I think the the issue is that in most cases, these things tend to only be obvious in hindsight. And that, by the way, is the premise of the book, "The Signal Signal in the the Noise." So if you if you ever have a chance to read that, it's good good book.
1: It's funny. it, It you know reminds me a little bit of what pilots do, which is we typically study crash reports. And we're typically looking for the root cause of the crash, so that we don't repeat that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh well, he you know he didn't plan his fuel well, or he flew into a cloud, or you know he he didn't put oil in the engine. Well, I'll never do that. But it's that same kind of potential naive arrogance that gets people in trouble. Right. You know, if you look at the the typical year-over-year causes of crashes. Especially in general aviation, there is a fairly common pattern of the same mistakes being made. So I don't know, it's a bit of an aside. But you you go back to a point too, and I was having this discussion uh, with with another friend recently that, you know, let's say you get a pen test done, and and, and of course, I shouldn't say of course, in my experience, any reasonably skilled pen test organization will not fail to get into your company. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I know that's a a, a strong statement. You're never supposed to say never or always, but that's been my experience. How you react to those findings is interesting. I think a lot of people rush to plug the holes at a tactical level that were found by that pen test. But I often urge folks to say, well, wait a sec. Okay, let's say, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's use Equifax and let's say that was a pen test. And they got in through a struts vulnerability. Okay? Go patch struts. We're good. No, you're not. The question should be, what process failing or people failing allowed that struts vulnerability to exist in production?
0: Yep, exactly.
1: What is the cause behind the... What is the strategic issue behind the tactical issue? Okay, we're missing patches for this. Why are you missing patches? Uh, did, Did your vulnerability management tool not pick it up okay why why is our process built around one vulnerability management tool or you did and and somebody forgot to patch it or there was a a production you know uh, requirement not to patch or this part of the organization accepted the risk of not patching that and this part of the organization now is freaking out because that part of the organization accepted the risk it gets very complicated in a hurry but I urge folks when they get pen tests, don't look at just the vulnerabilities, but look at what are the situations or the circumstances, or the process, or the culture, or the people that led to that circumstance. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm kind of rambling off topic a little bit, but
0: no, but uh, you know, I think you have you have an opportunity in in a lot of different contexts, right? Because a lot of, a lot of companies are subject to you know internal and external audits, and you can apply the same kind of logic, you know, we, we, to the extent possible, we should be looking to, to solve the systemic problem, not just a, the, a particular manifestation.
1: The flip side of that is when you have someone going, you need to be at a hundred percent patch rate. Oh, by the way, you've got one guy to do it. <laughs>
0: yes. Right. Well, but, so, but in that case, you, you know, that's, that is the, the systemic issue is you've got a disconnect in your ability to, to patch. Right. Right and 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 so something has to give, right? or 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 you're just accepting things as they are, and you know and like.
1: But in that, any large organization, I see that disconnect all the time. Yes. That that the audit yes. team is demanding some sort of ninety eighth percentile work that would take seven FTEs, and you've got two, and some nobody wants to give. No, nobody's moving on that, and so there's this constant feeling of failure and tension because you're being set up to fail in that circumstance. And and I, that is something that I think at a senior level has gotta get fixed. Because you have all these metrics that are getting built by whether they be third party organizations, whether they be internal audit, uh, maybe there's a big company problem mainly, but, and then the reality of what it takes to does that is not understood and it's, it's a laudable goal to say, hey, we need to be, all critical patches need to be applied within, you know, 72 hours. Great. But that's a whole lot of infrastructure and people that needs to get built and automated for that to happen. Right. You know, it's easy to put that, that goal out there or that re- requirement out there. It's very difficult to do it. It takes a lot of process and a lot of money and a lot of perhaps reengineering your environment to do that. You can't just throw that mandate out there and say, yeah, "Good luck."
0: Yeah, and it, you you hit on a I think you hit on an important point that if if that is an imperative goal, right, and and um, you know there's, there's no wiggle room, right. You, you're you're absolutely right. It does require a fundamental rethink. And 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 honestly, if you're a, if you're a new company or a small company with you know with with little IT or you're just starting out, these are simpler problems to solve when you when you have that requirement going in. But, you know, when you've got this monster SAP infrastructure or, you know, Oracle Financials or something like that, and, and you're suddenly trying to, you know, apply a really aggressive, nimble-type patching, you know, and, and you got an audit team saying well you know look you got netflix over there they can they can you know patch things many times per day you know why can't you do that here and and the reason is it's not it wasn't designed it wasn't architected to do that it's not that it couldn't be but it wasn't and so it takes an investment in in people and in tooling in you know system design and, and potentially business process, it, not just IT process, it's a it's a it's a very large investment. And by the way, I I I do think that IT and and infosec is a little bit infosec more so than IT is is kind of chasing uh, chasing the ball a little farther behind than we probably should be because. You know, we, I, I do think it is, in many respects, especially in in the the whole, you know, cloud native type world. You know, we're 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 not currently, I think, fully embracing. And you know, I'm sure some organizations out there are right. But I, I, I think, given you know, given the direction that we're at, you know, we're, that we're headed in, and and you know, the need to patch much more quickly and and all of these things, we, we really ought to be embracing those, you know, some of these new paradigms like, you know, DevOps and SecOps and, and cloud native, you know, much more aggressively than we currently are. And I, and I think security could be a driving force behind that. And I know it's a whole, whole lot of buzzwords and I'm sure I'll get some fun tweets in response. But, you know, I, I really do think that You know your your point is valid. We can't continue doing things the way we are, and have people beating us about the head because we're not going fast enough. Right, something has to change, and it has to change fundamentally.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I concur. I I mean, that's (laughs) yeah. I mean, we're we're probably way off topic from this particular article, but that kind of uh,
0: dovetails into uh, the to the third. The third failing is uh, no management buy-in, and you know the the thing that th- this one kind of I won't say it upset me, right? But you know what is what is management buy-in? I mean, I think it's intuitive in in what that means, but but how you know how much management buy-in do you need? Well, this is such a slippery slope, too,
1: because if you're a cased ex- extremist, right? If you're more stuck on the secure at all cost and right. business comes second and you can't get what you want and because the business feels that what you want is too negatively impactful to actually being able to do business, then you're gonna say you don't have enough management buy in.
0: Right. And so so it's management buy in from whose perspective?
1: Right. But the flip side of that is you have realistic needs that realistically need to secure the company, and we still have a huge disconnect between how security teams look at things and communicate things and how experienced business leaders look at things and communicate things. We saw a great talk on this uh, you know, at uh, O'Reilly Conference about how CISOs and the boards don't communicate well with each other. Um, by, uh, oh, I'm suddenly blanking. Wade, Wade Baker, yep. Thank you, Wade Baker, yes. Oh, sorry, Wade. Uh, so this is a tough one. I, I, I almost wonder if a prerequisite to buy-in is proper communication and proper understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I don't know. This is what was it about this that upset you? Or well, that so got your so
0: it 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 strikes me as part of, and, and I think you were starting to get there. Part of the issue of lack of management buy-in, I I think is often a a, a miss in mutual understanding or, or expectations of, you know, what the business needs out of its IT and security teams, and so you know, that the security team and the IT team may have, I mean, there could be three different views, right? I mean, IT, business, and InfoSec could have three different different views. But, you know, minimally, I think that what my concern is, and I've seen this happen a lot, right? And, and you know, there's there's books that have been written. I just finished reading the, the book, um, The Phoenix Project, right? And I, I was, uh, by the way, Kind of going into his it, it big detractor still- not a you know it's an interesting book right but one of the one of the points is you know the security person who who in the book was portrayed as a um uh you know a a stereotypical security guy who who was overbearing and you know had unreasonable expectations and blah blah blah. Right and and so you would say well he didn't have management buy in but he didn't have management buy in for his view of how things were supposed to be done. Right and 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 so you know the it's a it was a very contrived story so it's fiction and you know take it take it for what it's worth, um, you know but over time in in the in the course of the book they get to a you know a, a a better wait
1: wait 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 are these spoilers
0: no well they get they, they get to a better place right which you know both addresses the security person's concerns and the and the business person's concerns you know and and so they go into orchid farming yes exactly exactly oh. they they completely exit IT <laughs> and go into farming so so anyway um but the, the I think Part of this is not just, I guess, to cut to the chase, right? This isn't just a management problem where you know you don't you you've got manager you've got management who just don't get it. You know they don't get it. A lot of this comes down to having the right kind of leadership, understanding the business's priorities, and finding a way to most effectively you know mold. IT and InfoSec in a way that supports the, you know, the, the operations of the business and, and not the other way around. So
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. It, it's not an easy problem to solve.
0: No. But no. Um, I think we've
1: all been in situations where we're recommending something or want to do something that we know would better secure the company and we've been shot down.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. But does but, that mean you don't have management buy-in? I think we've talked about a lot that there's a lot of things that go into that decision making. There's, there's a, We look at it from one angle, which is how do we keep the company secure? The executives who are controlling the purse strings and the culture and the impact of these controls are looking at it from many, many, many different angles that we don't see. Right. Now, does that mean they're always right and that they're smarter and better? And no, there's all sorts of people in those roles who shouldn't be in those roles and are bad at that job. But they have far more things that they are trying to weigh together as a consideration than simply, are we secure or not secure? They have to do business and there is no business without risk. So you're never going to get to do a risk ever. So it's a matter of controlling that risk to an acceptable level. And that's a very difficult challenge. Now, we keep trying to make it easier with these frameworks and, and these government publications and these best practices, but there's still a large amount of individual choice in every organization that drives culture risk appetite opportunity to go fast and be agile uh, you know there's there's a absolutely. lot that goes into this
0: yep absolutely and, and, and by the way i i don't mean to say that like you know that there aren't managers or you know business leaders who are unreasonable and and whatnot i I mean look at you yeah yeah well so so there i mean there certainly are and and kind of like our in our last discussion we talked a lot about ethics you know at the end of the day you've got to you've got to do things that you're you're comfortable doing but you know i i think as a as an industry we've got a lot of room to grow from a business perspective and in in figuring out how to talk in business terms and making sure that we are you know, we, we are doing things that matter to the business in a way that's most efficient rather than just, you know the simplest for us or or the way we're accustomed to doing it rather than looking for you know new you know radically different ways of of doing things, so, and, and by the way, we we'll, we we'll, we'll, this is gonna kind of come back up in a couple of the stories today. So,
1: if we ever get to any other stories.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, speaking of that, um, uh, the next story comes from Troy Hunt's blog, and for for those who don't know, Troy Hunt is the the person who runs uh, Have I Been Pwned, and and so he um, he collects dumps of of stolen credentials from from different sites and and um over time that's kind of evolved into a service where you can you can register your email address and anytime a s- you know a system or a service gets breached where your your credentials were part of that you'll you'll get notified and so it's a you know pretty cool thing but um he in this particular blog post is talking about some Interesting discussions about uh, y- y- amongst members of the UK Parliament. So the title is here is trouble with politicians sharing passwords. Oh, this one's just chock full of fun. Yeah. So so this all started with a a lady named uh, Nadine. Uh, what was it? Na- Nadine Dorries? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Nadine Dorries, who is a member yep. of Parliament. Technically, this started with somebody else. Well, I know, but Nadine Dorries started the Twitter okay, mess. fair enough, right? Okay, and, and, carry on. And so, so Nadine was trying to defend another, and this is where you were going, right? She was trying to defend another member of parliament um, who's named Damian Green, who was accused of accessing pornography on his government computer. And so so Nadine swooped in and is trying to you know plant some seeds of doubt you know come to the defense of her colleague by saying you know look we we have to you know, I'm paraphrasing here right but she's basically saying you know you have to be a little cautious because by the way you know, we all share logins. Like, there's a whole bunch of people, for instance, who share my login as, you know, Nadine. Yeah, her
1: her entire staff that her, works for her apparently.
0: Her entire staff shares yeah. the login to her computer, and and this, in, in, including interns, right? According to her, right. Uh, so so anyhow, um, this this sp- spun off a chain, a, 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 what I'll call ridiculous <laughs> chain of, of, uh, email or I should say not emails, tweets from other members of parliament and, you know, other, um, yeah, I think, I think there was a, a couple of, um, reporters in there too. I think one of them was a BBC reporter anyway, basically saying, yeah, me too. Right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I get 300 emails a day. And the only way that I can respond back to these emails is by allowing my team of, you know, a dozen, um, uh, you know, again, paraphrasing, you know, my, my team of support staff access my computer using my login. And, and they all need access to my email. And, and so, so there, obviously, a lot of, the InfoSec community is just horrified at, at this revelation, right? But, you know, I, we should we should not be surprised at all by this, by the no, way. No, absolutely and, and, not. But this goes back to buy in, right? What is buy in? Well, know? I.
1: So there's a quote. I'm going to jump ahead because there's a quote later that I think is brilliant on this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um. I got to find it, I got to find it, I got to find it. Oh, it's a big, big article. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> excuse me. The Register, uh, which is a, a online publication, uh, piece that's linked in here earlier uh, in the article, quoted one MP as saying the following, quote, most MPs have that fatal combination of arrogance, entitlement, and ignorance, which means they don't think codes of practice are for them. Now I'm going to bring it back to our world, which if you take out the word MP and put in senior leadership team and executives, I think it 100% applies.
0: Or salesperson?
1: Or, yeah, any high performer, anyone who thinks they're very important to the company. This is the fundamental challenge of securities getting in the way of doing getting their job done so they go around security.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, by the way, is what, you know one of the things i wanted to mention in this is you know a lot a lot of people in res- were again kind of horrified about this and and you know you know, pointing out that members of parliament should be setting a good example for the community at large and should not be doing things yeah, like yeah like, they're not
1: judged on that
0: <laughs> they should not be they're, sharing they're passwords. judged
1: and like getting crap done
0: yeah well it, it, exactly right and and so there, you know, there from from their perspective, right? This is I, I assume. I mean, I don't I I don't know any of these people. I've not talked to any of them, but the fact that there's a whole line of of them who are all saying the same things tells me that nobody's provided any alternative solution. Nobody has enabled them to do this, you know, quote the right way, and so so they've gone off and found a way to do their job in the only way they know how.
1: That there are solutions to every problem they brought up in here that doesn't involve sharing passwords and sharing account logins. Right. But then it becomes a question is, is there IT resources available? Do they care? Is this a nudge and wink situation? This is a tough problem, but I think it's so illustrative of the same problem we have with our senior leadership team, who are some of the most vulnerable and juicy targets for the bad guys. Yep. Yep. And what what amazes me about this, I shouldn't say amazes me, but what I think is such an interesting takeaway is they don't see anything wrong with this.
0: It's business as usual.
1: Hey, I got to get stuff done. Right. What do you expect me to do?
0: Yeah, now yeah. I've got I've got hundreds of emails to answer. It right. takes a, it takes a staff of people to do it. They all have to access the same email account, so I don't see the problem. And that's effectively what they're saying.
1: Now the interesting question is, maybe the IT department or the security guys are completely unaware of the situation. I'm sure they are now.
0: Or maybe they've said. Absolutely not. You're not allowed You know, we will not well, allow delegation. I mean, we we don't know what what their perspective is, right?
1: Yeah, we don't. I, it is covered later in the in the story from Troy that, or the blog post that sharing the password is prohibited in writing. It's it's you know, but I think a lot of times people look at these policies and process and just go whatever. I got stuff to do. Don't get my way. I'm important.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like this. You know, the the speed limit on a road. If if. No one ever gets in trouble for, for breaking the speed limit. You know what's? It, it's still against the law, but you know it's no one's ever. It's kind of
1: like, it's true. It's it's a lot like when you go to a conference and you see a line for a talk and you're like, whatever, and you just walk right past it because you know
0: you're uh, you. It's true. I'm I'm Jerry. I'm yeah. Don't you know who I am? Works works every time. Does it? Does it really? Yeah. Well, they they usually send me out of the conference, and take away my <laughs> ticket. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so no, back in all seriousness, I don't think just making fun of these MPs is the point. I think it is shows a much st- larger problem about getting people to do, quote unquote, the right thing when they feel that that right thing gets in the way of what they're judged upon and getting stuff done. Right. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting story. And, uh, you know, maybe this is something that we need to. Again, this does go back to management buy in. Now, there could be a disconnect between these guys not talking to the IT department. It could be a disconnect. Who knows? Maybe they just don't have a good IT department. I have no idea. But if we take it back to our organization, I would promise you stuff like this is going on at, at senior levels. Now is that because the IT department and the security department isn't engaging well enough with those folks, or, or I'm sure that there's a certain level of those folks who are just that arrogant, who just are never going to follow the rules.
0: Yeah, see, see, that's that's what, what resonated with me, is, is it, two things. Number one is, I will guarantee you, the people who are throwing rocks at these members of parliament, if you were to look in their organizations, there would be, things not necessarily this particular. Bad behavior, right? But there would be things that employees of their company or, or em- employer have done similarly to bypass, you know, company policy to get their jobs done. But they were wholly unaware. And the only the only thing that's saving their bacon is that you know th- there isn't the register or you know th- there isn't some you know public you know public uh, you know shaming uh, shaming going on. Yeah, and and so. Um, so, so that's you know that's number one, and and the the other thing is is that if there is an IT department, I assume there is an IT department. That IT department or security department did not spend any you know any any material amount of time looking at the business needs of these members of parliament to figure out that oh my gosh, they need a way for their staff to be able to answer their emails. Oh, and maybe by the way. It is against policy for you know employees to access each other's email, and so so maybe they need a different solution. Like maybe it should be a you know the 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 member of parliament's email address should be some kind of functional ID rather than their personal email address. I mean, like it it's clear to me this hasn't been thought out. It's just kind of organically grown by you know that the people who are just trying to do their jobs rather yeah. than somebody thinking through and you this know, risk
1: has been normalized over the years
0: yes exactly yeah. and yeah. now and now you got i mean now it's it's so ingrained in the culture that members of parliament are very you know cavalier about publicly saying well god i mean we all do this like what are right. you talking about yep and and you know th- that is not where you want to be because I mean, once, once you get that kind of culture, it's really hard to unring the bell.
1: And we in security look like, you know, paranoid freaks.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: I mean, we are, but but that doesn't mean we want to look like it all the time.
0: We are. Um, Anyway. So, so moving on to our next story. Uh, This one comes from, from Krebs on security. Haven't talked about Krebs in a long time, but, um. Title here's here is, here is uh, Fishers are upping yeah, their well, game.
1: He hasn't talked about us in a long time. Well, either.
0: that's true. Fishers are upping their game, so should you. I've actually had a few people hit me up on on Twitter and in, in uh direct messages saying that that I should talk about the forthcoming uh, uh Let's Encrypt wildcard certificates. So for for those of you who who don't know, Let's Encrypt is, you know, kind of uh, within the span of several months, become the number one, far and away leader in in uh, the certificate authority space, and to the point where I'm not sure as certificate authorities is an industry is a is a going concern anymore. Like it seems like it's just gone. But anyway, um, up up until now, if you wanted a wildcard certificate, your only option was to go buy one. But now. Let's Encrypt. I think starting pilot in January and in, in production. I think in March, you're going to be able to get wildcard certificates for free.
1: So, what exactly does a wildcard certificate do for you?
0: So, like, um, you know, right now with um, with Let's Encrypt, you I can get just for example, right? I can get a certificate for www.defensivesecurity.org and defensivesecurity.org, and and so so to let you have. You know, basically two, uh, you know, two domain names, if you will. Um, whereas, once the wildcard certificate hits, I'll be able to have a certificate that will cover any host name in front of, you know, in front of dot dot org. So it could be www one dot dot org. It could be, you know, Calit is awesome. dot dot org. You know it and y You only need one certificate what what comes first is now you know irrelevant and that is interesting from the the perspective of creating dynamic sites and and oftentimes you know phishing sites will will use custom created or custom constructed um you know domains and because you can you you can you know infer certain you can you can pass data based on you know the 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 URL that someone clicks on right so right. so there's 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 some legitimate and maybe not legitimate needs for it but the the point in this particular article here is that you know number 1 most people believe that websites that that have the you know the green lock are secure and trusted. And and so that's, you know, that's kind of the background that we're we're living in and we're moving in a in a direction where more and more of the internet is encrypted, so it's it's kind of becoming de facto more trustworthy. They point out that uh, according to Firefox, last year at the end of 2016, 45% of websites had, or we're using SSL this year it's 65% and with some of the changes like with Google penalizing non-SSL sites or non-TLS sites we know that that's going to keep you know that's going to keep moving up the 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 chart what we're what we're seeing is um, in the past phishing you fishers know, people who were who were running phishing campaigns would often compromise legitimate websites and And one of the reasons they would do that is because you know they those legitimate websites often had um you know their own s s l certificate It'll always be s s l to me just so, so you're all gonna have to get over it right it's it's just the way it is, even though it's get off awesome. my lawn get off my lawn that's right so um' a so anyway. cloud <laughs> that's right so so anyhow um the the Point is that now with these, you know, with these very easy and cheap uh, to create certificates, and and in particular moving towards the, you know, the the wildcard certificates, it's we're seeing attackers actually registering their own domains and then requesting uh, certificates through, you know, through organizations like Let's Encrypt and because people are primed to trust those you know sites that that have a have a certificate as as trustworthy you know it's it's creating this ecosystem of of trouble where where people are more susceptible to phishing attacks because the you know the the domains can be you can be constructed such that they look you know, more realistic. He points out that he he, he points out uh, a, a case of Bank of America, right? He 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 has uh, Bank of America dot com, and then a whole bunch of garbage, and then you know, a, 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 a clearly a phishing type URL. Point is, SSL you know SSL t- based websites are are presenting a more pressing phishing risk to our users because it's. It tends to be more implicitly trusted. Uh, that, in turn, requires us as defenders to change our tactics, right? We need to, we need to change our, um, you know, our awareness campaigns. We need to be real, you know. we We need to realize that uh, more of the traffic that will be carrying, you know, let's say malicious payloads, are going to be encrypted, blind, potentially blinding us. And, and some of our sensors are DLP sensors or our, our intrusion detection sensors from from that kind of traffic, and and so we have to be cognizant of the you know the very rapidly changing ecosystem that these kinds of attacks are working on. And the other thing he brings up is that there's also a a, a paradigm shift underway where previously the the you know the, the fishers were were trying to present a victim. With let's say a login page for, you know, iCloud or your bank or or some other uh, some other service to steal that user ID, and and Brian in this article points out that, um, you know, that the shift is moving more towards uh, dropping password stealers on a laptop or or on a, on a computer to steal, you know, more or maybe all of the victims passwords rather than just the one right and so that's another important shift that that he points out here so you know I guess point is right th- this is a very rapidly changing world and as defenders we need to be aware that the shifts are happening and and adjust accordingly
1: i think you covered it very well i don't i don't have much to add that you didn't hit
0: I, the one thing i would say
1: is that I see that the advice we gave our users is now rapidly aging out.
0: <laughs> yes. right? be careful what you what you <clears throat> and, tell them. Right,
1: and it's not fair to expect our user populations to be able to keep up with this sort of stuff on their own.
0: Yes, exactly. So we
1: used to teach them look for typos, look for weird things in emails, and you know all that's in the past. The bad guys have gotten far more mature than that. You know they're going to keep adapting. They're they're a smart adversary. So it's it's tough. It's a really tough problem to solve. Uh, I think there are things you can do at a corporate level. It's a little bit tougher if they go after home accounts, but one thing I've seen be very effective is if you've got a <clears throat> some sort of proxy uh, filtering for newly seen domains or uncategorized domains mm-hmm. and not allowing people to go there. I think is fairly effective for some of this stuff. It doesn't stop everything, but it's 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 a it's a road bump. You know, it's a speed bump yep. for a lot of this. Uh, it's I think that going back kind of <laughs> contrary to our first story I do think that there are some more technical innovations and issues we can we can put around this technical controls to slow slow down and make it tougher but it's it's constantly evolving and I think it's I think it's a good article to to look at in depth as these things are changing and update our awareness and and mindset.
0: Yeah, th- definitely so. All right, and then uh, the last story we have is an update on the the ongoing Uber saga.
1: Wait, something happened at Uber?
0: I, I know, I know. So it was a little breach. Almost almost nobody's talking about it. Well, uh, you
1: know, according to them, it wasn't a breach at all. Well, no, according to the new CEO, it was. It, it really depends on who you talk to.
0: Right, right, and when, yep. So so the, the this story comes from Reuters, and or, or Reuters, depending on where you're at uh the the title here is exclusive. Uber paid twenty-year-old Florida man to keep data breach secret. <laughs> so, um, so
1: this goes back to the hundred K they paid out.
0: Yes, and and so um, some new details have emerged. Right, the 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 person who apparently reported the breach or the vulnerability, I guess, to um, to Uber was a twenty-year-old person who who. According to sources, lived in his mom's basement, and was trying to help pay the, the family's bills. Uh, and Uber is intentionally tr- uh, trying not to disclose the uh, the identity of this this person. And w- what what's even more interesting is that the the hundred thousand dollars was actually paid through the hacker one a uh, bug bounty service and which and so, gives a little credibility to them saying
1: look this was a bug bounty sort of kind of
0: yeah and, and by the way it's it's a little unclear but i i think that uber and hacker one had a pre-existing relationship but you know before, prior to this and so this was handled through the bug bounty, now it's it's completely unclear, and, and probably, you know, it's it, it it this this issue, I would say, seems like it was handled outside of the bounds of the bug bounty. So even if there was a pre-existing relationship with Hacker One and a pre-existing bug bounty program, it sounds like reading between the lines, this particular issue, um. You know, was was pulled into that program after the fact, and and uh, Uber's decision to pay the hundred thousand dollars was to help you know get you know, identify the specific person, and you know they they also in this article point out, and I think we talked about it on the last the last show too, that Uber performed a forensic an- analysis on the person's computer on this twenty year old person's computer to make sure that he didn't retain any copies of the okay. of the data.
1: But only that only leaves a couple of possibilities here in my mind. Okay. One after the hack, the hacker reached out to Uber to either A extort or B apply for a bug bounty. Yep. Or yep. B Uber somehow found this guy. And and, hmm. it all, I gotta I gotta tell you, it's starting to feel like this guy reached out after the to to Uber and said, "Hey, I just downloaded all this crap. You guys are screwed up."
0: It it certainly sounds like that. And then Uber said, "Well, if you know, if you it, we have a way, we have a way for this to be a win win." Right. Right. And
1: I, believe me, I have no love for Uber. I'm not trying to defend Uber. I'm just. I'm thinking about if this were truly a malicious third party hacker,
0: how did they get in contact with them? how did how did they no it's it, it's it seems pretty clear all all of the reporting up to date has indicated that the you know the 20 year old hacker or who we now would know is a 20 year old hacker in Florida uh, reached out to Uber. So we we know that we, you know unless the reporting is incorrect, we know that the contact was initiated by that person what's not clear is whether whether that was done through the bug bounty program or not it's it's it certainly seems like not uh but you know the the bug bounty program was was apparently used to give it some legitimacy and and, and probably also to obscure specifically who you know who was
1: uh well i mean i got to tell you i can kind of see how this went down from uber's perspective yeah, somebody found this massive breach. They reached out and they rewarded them for it, and it kept it off the off the wire.
0: Yeah, but i i I think that I think where Uber and and I completely agree. I mean, I think Uber seemed to act in a reasonably up to a, a point, right? I mean, I think that they're they, you know, they they. Identified, they, they took steps to identify the specific person. They took steps to make sure the person had, you know, had destroyed the data. I think where they messed up is that they probably still had an obligation to disclose the breach because that you know it wasn't a it wasn't a case where this per this person wasn't authorized. You know, he he was never the, the person wasn't authorized to access that data at the time he had accessed it. And so it was a data breach. I mean, I don't, I don't know of any. I'm not a lawyer, right? But I don't know of any data breach laws that, you know, that that would allow you, after the fact, to go and and allow the, you know, the, there to be an NDA. So, so I, so I think that's where, Uber, I think that's where Uber jumped the tracks. I mean, up to that point, it seemed like, eh, it's all right. I think where they screwed up was not in in not disclosing the breach.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. This 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 story seems to evolve rapidly as more and more information keeps coming out.
0: Yeah, and it's it certainly sounds like we're gonna be hearing more out of the story for, for for some time to come. And by the way, there there are there, there's been some you know commentary from people in the bug bounty ecosystem, and they they point out that you know it's really out of the ordinary to see a hundred thousand dollar bounty like that so you know they they, they pointed out
1: that, yeah but we've seen that before we, we've seen we've seen Facebook pay off huge bounties we've seen Microsoft pay off huge bounties I think I feel like that article really stretched to make it seem extraordinary
0: yeah yeah I mean I I, I do think that you know again uber was uh, you, 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 look it you know, somebody somebody would have to pay me a lot of money to let for me to let them perform a forensic analysis on my computer voluntarily, how about, right? How about when you're 20 and you're Poe and you live in Florida? Well no, and I, I and I think that's the point, right? Is right. is you know, Uber from Uber's perspective, they needed to make it worth the while, right? They needed to make sure that the guy signed an NDA which probably, by the way, not, not only covered him not just dis- further disclosing the data that he stole, but also not dis- you know, not talking about or discussing the, the event, but then also allowing them to, to analyze his computer, and who knows what other you know, baggage went along with it. So it had to be enough money f- you know, to, to, to make it worth that person's while. And, and so I suspect that's where yeah, that's, that's why it's a hundred thousand bucks so anyway i I you know look uber messed up right and and again I think where they messed up to me seems to be becoming more clear you know other than the fact that they they left um you know they left some uh, apparently API keys in their <laughs> github code <laughs> well
1: i I will tell you i don't I don't think it's as bad as the original press made it out to be. That they got hacked and they hit and they hit it, they covered it up. I, I can
0: see some of their twisted logic here. That it's a series of bad decisions. Yeah. That that are that are easy to armchair quarterback in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You know, and and I I would like to say that I would not make that decision if it were me. Right, but but again, well, you know, no, we talked about j- this.
1: You would just kill the guy. You know.
0: <laughs> Serve him to your llamas. Dead men tell no, tell no tales, right? Um,
1: but no, I, 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 think. I mean, one I of don't they... do this show because I want to. You're holding my entire family captive,
0: and and, and you will continue. That's right. To do the show, if you ever want to see them again.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's been eight years. I kind of, you know, I've moved on. Really.
0: I mean, oh, so, so I've got to find a new stick now. huh? <laughs> um, anyway, now, now you can threaten to return them. Or if I stop there, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. I'm a terrible man. Go on. That's right. Um, so, so I, I, you know, I, I guess one of the one of the 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 complicating factors is that, you know, as we, as we talked about on the last show, one of the people that was was put into the airlock. Was was a legal, you know was a, a a lawyer right and so you know maybe they got bad legal advice you know and and so so maybe all the way through it made complete sense to the people who were engaged you know they 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 thought they had a you know a way to to make sure the data didn't get disclosed they you know they had a they had made sure that the data. What that was stolen was was removed, and no copies were going to be disclosed. and And they had a signed agreement with the person who did it that you know they he wouldn't even breathe a peep of it. And maybe they had a an, an internal lawyer saying, "Yep, you've covered all the bases." I mean, I don't know. If that's what what happened, but I mean, it's not hard to it's not hard to see if you've got a lawyer telling you that that makes sense. You know, it's
1: also a fairly fresh area of law.
0: It, it is. It Definitely is. So, I don't know that's what happened right, but I could certainly see if a, if a, you know, if I go to a lawyer and and say, you know, here's the deal, what's the appropriate action? You know, I'm I'm not going to second guess a lawyer on on matters of of law. Again, I don't know that's what happened here, but it's, it's 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 a strange set of facts that are that is emerging. Agreed. So, anyway, I am almost positive we're going to hear more <laughs> about about Uber because um, and, and and you know again as we talked about uh, I think part of it is because they've pissed off so many people both inside and outside the company. Sure,
1: they have no goodwill left.
0: <laughs> everybody is is uh, flapping their gums about what's going on. So uh, I'm
1: also almost positive people are sick of hearing us flap our gums on this show. Well, not anymore. I'm sure everybody's. No, I mean for this particular episode, gone by now, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. Those who
0: could, yeah. Well, that's that's right. There are those who are in solitary confinement. Who, yep. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're sorry. And uh, you know, speaking of that, we, we, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. That's the show for today. Thanks to our Patreon donors, by the way. I, I I'm aware that some 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 stuff has gone down with Patreon and so i I've, I've, I've got to take another look and see if that's still the right thing to to do because i know we we have a lot of people who are um who are small donors so, you know, or not, i didn't say that well right who donate wow uh,
1: i love all of our donors small. there are no small donors
0: that's not what i meant every one of them uh, is is greatly appreciated i meant there there's a apparently some of the recent changes um are are not complementary to donations below like 10 or 15 bucks a month so i've got to go and and see and you know maybe there's a better and
1: it's it's weird too right because the donor has to pay that fee that the donee can't pay it
0: somehow it's it it seems very odd it is strange so anyhow yeah um I just haven't had a chance to, to take a look at that and find a, uh, you know, find a an alternative, but and, and for those, by the way, sincerely, for those who have donated, you know, it's, it's not, it's not expected, but it is appreciated. Thank you very much. It, it does, you know, help pay the bills and whatnot. Absolutely.
1: So. Yeah. You guys are awesome.
0: Um, and uh, you know, with that, we will, we'll talk again next week. Um, you, you, you can find the links to the stories we talked about today on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at Defensive Sec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. And you can follow me on Twitter at Malicious Lincoln. With that, we will talk again real soon. Have a great week, everybody. bye. bye.